Let's get ready to study God's Word. Greetings to one and all. Welcome to another episode of Rightly Divide the Word of Truth. This is Andrew S. Baker, and today's devotional study is entitled, Lessons from the Book of Job, number three. Please visit our podcast page, biblestudy.asbzone.com, where you can find links to our previous episodes, our Bible study resources, and much, much more, including over a dozen ways to access our podcast, such as Google Podcasts. Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. Our verse for today comes from Job 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, But Job answers and said, Oh, that my grief were thoroughly weighed, and my calamity laid in the balances together. Let's have a word of prayer before we get into this study. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you again for these lessons that you've left here on our behalf. And we ask you to give us wisdom and instruction as we enter into them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, it's been a while since we've dealt with our friend Job. And there are some more lessons to go into. Now, in Job chapter 3, after the friends have come... And they're sitting there with him for a week. No one has said anything. But in Job 3, 1 and 2, it says, After this opened Job his mouth and cursed his day. And Job spake and said, Let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night in which it was said, There is a man-child conceived. Okay. So he is he's discouraged. Um... Now, mind you, his complaint, he just wishes to have the day eradicated. He's saying, there's nothing good that that happened from my birth. Well, let me say it differently. Seeing how things have turned out, my birth was nothing spectacular. And frankly, if it had never occurred, that would be better than the result that we have right now. Right? Now, there's nothing in Job chapter 3 where he is saying anything negative about God. There's nothing in in chapter 3 that he says anything negative about God. And frankly, he doesn't say anything negative about God throughout. But there's not. he's just complaining about the situation that he has. And I don't know about you, but I'm not going to be the one to tell him, ah, suck it up, Job, everything is good to go. No. Job has gone through a tremendous exercise, and even in this, this particular chapter, He's not saying anything. He is just really, really frustrated and downtrodden. Okay? Now, the first friend that speaks up is Eliphaz, who seems to be the oldest of them. And Eliphaz's first response in Job 4 is, If we essay to commune with thee, wilt thou be grieved? But who can withhold himself from speaking? Behold, thou hast instructed many, and thou hast strengthened the weak hands. Thy words have upholden him that was falling, and thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. But now it has come upon thee, and thou faintest. 
It touches thee, and thou art troubled. Okay. And then in verse 7, he says the thing that's going to set the tone for how they are looking at this all the way. Verse 7. Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent, and where were the righteous cut off? Wow. Wow. So he starts this whole discussion by saying, oh, oh, look, you counseled other people. You, you instructed other people. And now it's time for correction on your part and you're wilting. He says, look, let's be honest here. Where do we ever hear of the innocent running into any problems? Right? Where are the righteous ever cut off? Right? So if you're going through all of this, and boy, are you going through a lot of stuff. Hmm. Hmm. That kind of tells us what's going on here. Now he continues in, in the next chapter. And he's basically saying, um, you know, this is what it is. It's the foolish man and the wicked man. This is how he ends chapter 5, right? In Job 5, 27, right at the end, he says, Lo, this, we have searched it. So it is. Hear it, and know thou it for thy good. Right? So he wants Job to accept. Listen, are we going to, are you going to give us a lot of grief if we explain to you what's going on here? Because it looks like you're not, you're not getting it. It's easy to understand what happens. You're obviously suffering the judgment of the wicked. Nobody innocent ever gets into this kind of problem. So you're suffering the judgment of the wicked. So, you know, get with the program. Figure out what it is. Confess about something and move forward. And Job replies with the verse that we started with. But Job answered and said, Oh, that my grief were thoroughly weighed and my calamity laid in the balances. For now it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore, my words are swallowed up. For the arrows of the Almighty are within me, the poison whereof drinketh up my spirit. The terrors of God do set themselves in array against me. And then he goes on to say, Oh, that I might have my request, and that God would grant me the thing that I long for, even that it would please God to destroy me, and he would let loose his hand and cut me off. So again, despite all of the pain he's going through, the emotional pain, the physical pain, and at this point, the psychological pain, especially with these friends, he is not charging God with anything foolishly. He's just asking, Lord, please, this is a lot. Can you just cut me off? Right? Can you just cut me off? Then should I yet have comfort? Right? That's what he's asking for. But he's telling his friends, is there iniquity in my tongue? Cannot I, my taste, discern perverse things? He's like, listen, as much problems as I have here, don't I know what's right and wrong? Why do you guys assume that, that it's some sort of wrongness? Okay? Is there not an appointed time to man upon earth? This is Job 7 verse 1. Are not his days like the days of a hireling? 
He says, when I lay down, I say, when shall I arise and the night be gone? And I'm full of tossings to and fro until the dawning of the day. My flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust. My skin is broken and become loathsome. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. He is in a bad place. He is in a bad place. And he's saying, Lord, I've sinned. What shall I do unto thee? Why hast thou set me as a mark against thee, so that I am a burden to myself? And why dost thou not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now shall I sleep in the dust, and thou shalt seek me in the morning, and I shall not be. This is at the end of Job 7. So here, again, Job is not asserting himself as righteous and undeserving of anything he does want to know why he does want to know why and that's not a strange request if the, if we are taught that that we um that if we live in harmony with the lord he will look out for us and then all of a sudden things look kind of weird and we can't understand we don't know that we've done something that is problematic then we, we desire to know, Lord, what have I done? And if I haven't done anything, what is happening? Okay? And Job is asking these questions here. And his friends are saying all kinds of foolishness. Now, as you go through the book of Job, you will see that Job's response to his friends becomes more and more pointed. And that's because their attacks on him become more and more pointed. I think they accepted that they were just going to be able to tell him, Hey, dude, you messed up. <laughs> you messed up big. And he was going to say, yeah, I know, or I don't know what happened. But it kind of threw them off that he wasn't accepting it. And he was, in fact, becoming more determined with the response. Okay? And you see the next person speaks in chapter 8, Bildad. Bildad the Shuhite said, how long wilt thou speak these things, and how long shall the words of thy mouth be like a strong wind? Doth God pervert judgment, or doth the Almighty pervert justice? If thy children have sinned against him, and he have cast them away for their transgression, if thou wouldest seek unto God betimes, and make thy supplication to the Almighty, if thou wert pure and upright, surely now he would awake for thee, and make the habitation of thy righteousness prosperous. So, in effect... In effect, these guys are saying the same thing that Satan says. Does Job serve thee for naught? It's because you've done this good stuff for him. These guys are saying, hey, if you were upright, God would make you prosperous. This is why God could say at the beginning, have you seen my servant Job, who alone is righteous? He's the only one who has it together. He's the only one who understands even a little about how I operate. These guys are saying, we see you in distress. We see you under under um, what looks like judgment. Therefore, you've done something wrong because God doesn't make unjust judgment. But it shows a lack of understanding about the great controversy. And it shows how quickly men and women are to blame God for negative things. Now, yes, we have discussed the fact that at the end of the day, 
Nothing can happen if God does not allow it. But we should still be very careful not to equate allowing something to happen with facilitating or designing or implementing bad things. The nature of the great controversy, if we understand the great controversy, we can understand God's allowance better. The great controversy is such that God has been accused by Satan of operating in a certain way. And God cannot just say, no, I don't. And Satan says, yes, you do. And God says, no, I don't. Like we'd have an eternity of, no, that's not true. Yes, it is. No, it's not. That's not effective. All that God can do when doubt has been placed in the minds of his sentient creation as to how he operates, all he can do is show how he operates. Okay? All he can do is show. Now, if we remember at the beginning of this, Satan comes to represent the earth, and God says to Satan, have you seen my servant Job? And Job, and Satan says, sure, I've seen him, but he behaves that way because he's getting stuff. And God says, well, let's, let's see if that's true. And Satan goes off to execute the first set of judgment against the first set of, of uh, affliction against Job. And there's a second meeting. And again, Satan shows up and God says, hey, have you been paying attention to Job? Because he didn't do what you said he was going to do. And Satan's like, fine. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, there's a lot that people will, will be okay with when it's not happening to them. Lord says, okay, fine, but don't kill him. And so he goes and he tortures Job. And we know that Job is tortured because in Job 3 and 4, Job is unhappy with his situation. It is, it is disturbing him. I mean, he can't sleep. He's in these boils. He's lost his children. He's lost his wealth. It's a fact. It may not be the biggest thing on his mind. His wife is like very concerned about this whole thing and is in a, in an awkward place herself. His friends come, which isn't a problem yet. But as he is complaining before them, right? They don't say, they don't just sit there because it would have been, it would have been great if they had either given him comfort or had offered to pray on his behalf or had just said, you know, this too shall pass. The Lord is, the Lord has never forsaken his people. But instead they're like, well, looks like judgment. That must be what you're getting. And you need to agree with this. And so he's like, if it's judgment, it's not judgment. Okay? It's not judgment. That's not what it is. And they're like, it must be. And now you're being stubborn. So not only are you rebellious, <laughs> not only are you wrong, but now you're rebellious. And so this, this back and forth is going to go on for a number of chapters. But they're trying to, in, they're trying to insist that the evidence that he is a sinner is what they see before them, which is what Satan was asserting. He is, because you treat him well, he thinks highly of you, or he, he claims to think highly of you. But if you were to treat him average or even negatively, watch how he thinks about you. 
So Satan was right about some people doing it. He was just wrong about Job doing it. Because even in Job's complaining, Job is complaining about his situation without blaming God. And the lesson we need to learn, there are two key lessons from this. We have to not be those kinds of friends. We have to be people who are not so quick. Who are not so quick to determine that bad things happening to someone means that that person did something wrong. Right? In the book of Proverbs, we have this very important counsel. Very important counsel. And here's what it says. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. Right? We have to be quick. We have to avoid being quick with judgment. We have to avoid being quick with judgment. We have to avoid just looking at the externals to determine that something has or has not happened. These guys are sure, and they obviously spoke together, right? They obviously spoke together because, and we see it from the initial statement that, um, the initial statement that Eliphaz makes. He says, if we essay to commune with thee, wilt thou be grieved? Right? Why would he have to say that? But who can withhold himself from speaking? And then he goes on to his, the next paragraph. Okay, So they spoke together, because remember, we saw that they had made a, a vow together to come to see him. They had made an appointment to see him. And now they've come, but they already had in their mind, based on what we've heard, Job did some stuff. And so they come, and they tell him this. And they are insisting that he's a certain way. And Job is finding himself having to defend himself from them. So as Job gets more and more insistent that he hasn't done anything, he is not so much justifying himself against God. He's justifying himself against the unjust judgment of his friends, of his so-called friends. It can be easy for us to hear that someone is going through some really awkward things in their life, and you think, well, hmm, uh-huh. Especially if, you know, if it's one thing if the person was very pious before, and you knew them, and you realized that they were there, and you see that, you might look at that as affliction. But when we know, and we have friends who we feel like, well, you know, they're not doing everything they should be doing, but God is merciful. And then something happens, it's like, well, got caught up with them now. It's too easy to have those thoughts as to why someone else is going through circumstances that are bad. Do we ever think about how other people are thinking about our circumstances when we go through something that's bad? Do we ever wonder if they are not thinking, well, I knew that was too good to be true, or, hmm, yep, that thing that they're always doing that I've been trying to tell them about, but they wouldn't let go. Or, mm, yeah, it was a farce. We can't control what other people are going to say about us when we come into our situations like this. But we can control whether or not we have that mindset and whether or not we are willing to, to make those kinds of comments privately or publicly. 
we need not to have those kinds of issues. If we have friends that are not doing all that they should do, we should pray for them. We should ask God how we might go about encouraging them to do the right thing. We should certainly be a good example to them. But we should not assume and not be ready to judge them for the circumstances that come up. Be a comforter. Be someone who strengthens. Don't be looking for the first opportunity to say, well, you know, you're usually on the other side of the fence, but now you're here and you can't deal. Don't be quick to apply that sort of, of um, response. And please, if in fact you slip if in fact you do present that, if in fact you find yourself being the wrong kind of friend, when your friend rebuts your statement, don't go for a six and seven more rounds. Think of how Job felt. Because they took turns bashing him. They took turns. First Eliphaz. Right? First Eliphaz, then Bildad. He's going to get past Bildad, then Zophar, then it'll be Eliphaz again, then it will be Bildad again, then it will be Zophar again. And they're going to go through this for several rounds. We need to be sure that we are strengthening the hands of those who are going through things. Let's comfort people. Let's pray for them. If, if, it is, if there is some weakness, let us use the example of Hezekiah. And pray that they'll be healed. Let us intercede on their behalf. Don't be the guy that adds to the burden of those who are discouraged. Don't be the guy that fights with those who are discouraged and forces them in an attempt to force them to accept that your view, your theological view of their circumstances is the only correct one. Don't be the one to present before them as though they are in opposition to God. Don't add to their burden. In Job 16, Job said to them, Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are ye all. Shall vain words have an end? Or what emboldeneth thee to answer? I also could speak as ye do. If your soul were in my soul's stead, I could heap up words against you and shake mine head at you, but I would strengthen you with my mouth, and the moving of my lips would assuage your grief. Though I speak, my grief is not assuaged, and though I forbear, what am I eased? That is the way that we should be, not miserable comforters. We should be those who encourage and strengthen. I pray that we will look for every opportunity to help those who are in distress and discouraged. And I pray that we will also be sure not to, um, to take advantage of circumstances to discourage anyone or to be miserable comforters. By God's grace, help us to be attentive to the needs of others. Help us to be sympathetic 
to their plight and their condition. Help us to be those who encourage and strengthen and assuage their grief and not those that just talk people into greater depression. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for these these lessons that are embodied in your word. We ask you to help us, help us that we will be instruments of comfort, we'll be ambassadors, that we will be comforters on your behalf, that we will not look at people's situation and judge them, even if only in our heads. Help us to pray for people, to be more willing to intercede on their behalf, to pray for them, and to strengthen and encourage them. I thank you again for this study, and I pray, Lord, that you will grant unto us wisdom, understanding, and compassion. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. Please feel free to contact us via email at biblequestions at asbzone.com. Whether you have questions, comments, or concerns, we look forward to hearing from you. If you're finding this channel to be a blessing, please take the time to share our page with others. And always, always keep our ministry in your prayers. Until we meet again next time, may God richly bless you as you prayerfully study His Word.